Yes, so today we'll be we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, <clears throat> kind of in general, but especially focusing in on peace. And uh, there'll be a couple of ways that maybe this, this fits in with the Christian Life Week, but it is, it is more in line with the, the fruit of the Spirit uh, series that we're, we're after. And my main, my main interest is just helping us understand that the fruit of the Spirit is... Uh, is is re, is real is helping us know what 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 it is. Um, that's my main main concern. So peace, not joy, but peace. What do you think of when you hear the word peace? What desires or longings does that word peace awaken in you? Actually, we're going to talk to our neighbors. Talk to your neighbor about what do you think peace means? What do you think of? What do you want for peace? Talk to your neighbor. Figure out the question for you. <clears throat> what do y'all think? Just call some, call some examples out. What are, your, what are our longings for peace? Calm. Yeah. Rest. Harmony. Tranquility. Being still. No. No conflict. Yeah. Good. Any other concrete examples? Things that we're longing for? Home. Home. Sleep. Yes. <laughs> Our twins just turned four, and uh, today, as in today, there is a birthday. And Ruth was, she's the redhead, and she was, I don't know, she woke up like every hour last night. I don't know what it was. Don't know what it was. She wanted peace, yeah. Any other examples of peace? Well, how are you longing for peace? What does, so we have all these things that we just talked about. Peace, desires for peace, longings for peace. What does peace as a fruit of the spirit have to do with all of those things? That's kind of the big question that I'd like to talk about. First off, what even is peace as a fruit of the Spirit? What is the fruit of the Spirit? Sometimes I've thought about the fruit of the Spirit as like a nice side benefit of being a Christian. Okay? It's not strictly necessary, nice side benefit. It's kind of like getting a job that has a life insurance, small life insurance policy attached to it. Okay, it's nice. As far as job benefits go, I care about mainly the salary, right? That can take care of me and my family. Maybe it's dental insurance. Okay, yeah, sure, it's great. Maybe dental insurance is a bigger deal for some, okay? I'm learning. But as a Christian, you think fruits of the Spirit, well, okay, as long as I'm saved and I'm not going to hell, that's the main thing, right? Do I really need the fruit of the Spirit? You know, it's only mentioned a couple times in the Testament or something. Either that or I've thought that the fruit of the Spirit is something beyond the normal, the normal ordinary Christian like me at least out of my own reach. I thought that the fruit of the Spirit, it's, it's like some kind of exalted, mystical, spiritual set of experiences that last forever. Joy unending, like you never stop smiling or something. Something that's so other than my own petty and dull and boring, ordinary, muddling through life as a Christian. Or I thought it's like elite character traits of the special forces Christians, which is basically like, any cross-cultural missionary, right? We've got some in the room. But those understandings of the fruit of the Spirit aren't adequate, 
right? It's not just a nice side benefit that doesn't really matter. It's not just elite stuff for only the special. Last week, Ethan Stewart told us about the fruit of the Spirit and how it arises out of our relationship with God the Father in Jesus Christ the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a Trinitarian structure going on if you had ears to hear. The fruit is what God produces in us as we remain attached to him, to the vine. As Jesus says in John chapter 15, that's what Ethan was using to riff on, riff on that. Jesus says in that same chapter that following him is like making our home in him, in God. That's what abide means. The word means to make a home or live like you're living in a home in something. Move to something, someplace. It's coming to live with God. It's following God. It's obeying God. It's talking to God. It's trusting God. It's loving God. Following him is like making your home with him. It's like you're moving in with him to live with him as part of his family. I want to use that metaphor a little bit to think about the fruit of the spirit. All right. So just imagine with me a little bit. Imagine your relationship with God as the experience of answering God's call to come and live with him in a new home that he's going to show you, that, he is, that he's showing you right now, that he provides for you, a home that you share with him and with other people. What would that home be like? What would it look like? Just try to imagine what it would look like. The fruit of the Spirit, I think, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of that, all those other, and there's lots of other fruit that we could find, not just the ones in Galatians chapter five. All these fruits describe the new life that God gives us as his beloved children in Christ. It describes the, the kind of home that God invites us to live in with him as this relationship with him. So in this home, this relationship, right? Follow me with the metaphor and your imagination we first of all experience the taste of the fruit of the Spirit when we f- experience God lavishing his own love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all the rest upon us as his children because he delights in us. That's our first taste of the fruit of the Spirit. That means it's for everybody, everybody who has a relationship with God in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is like the structure of the home. It's like the floor. It's like the Uh, decorations. It's like the rooms that we live in. The fruit of the Spirit is like the food that God serves us every single day as we taste God, as as He interacts with us, as He nourishes us. It's the sweet smell of this home that hits us when we walk in the door. It's our conversation in the home, outside the home. It's our play. It's our going out from this home to go and visit our neighbors down the street with God. It's our joyfully sitting silently with God and with each other. The fruit of the Spirit, first of all, describes that kind of relationship, that kind of home that we have with God that he's established with us. And as we live in this home, over time with God, receiving God's love, his joy, his peace, all all the fruit we're transformed by living here. Our fears and inhibitions about settling into this home start to fall away. We come to know God more intimately. In the process, we discover that this new home actually was our, our original home, and everything else that we thought was a home was just a stop along the way. We discover our truest selves in this home with God, this relationship with God and with others. The self that is called forth to receive and rejoice in God's love. 
we start to smell like the home that we live in. Y'all know the smell of home, maybe. You can think about that. Smell is really tied to memory for me. We start to smell like the food that we eat with God, the fruit of the Spirit. Our hands and our faces are gloriously stained with the juice of the fruit that we're tasting and we're touching and we're giving it. So just imagine a little kids eating blueberries or something. You're just completely covered in the juice. That's what, that's what it's like, the fruit of the Spirit, to taste the, these fruits. Even more, we learn to take this fruit and share it with others in our home, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with our neighbors down the street. When we do take that step of sharing the bowl that's filled with the fruit of peace with others, like when we forgive others, say, we find somehow we never run out of fruit to give away. We hand the fruit to others and we turn back to our place at the table and then suddenly it's, it's overflowing with fruit again. It's even more than it was before. And rather than being so bored of living in this same old house with same old God and these same old other people, we just keep desiring to eat the food that he gives us and we desire to keep even more and more living in this home with God, this relationship with God. The fruit of the Spirit describes the kind of home that God invites us to live in, the kind of relationship that he invites us to live in. And I think that metaphor, that, right, he wants us to actually taste himself, these fruits, through the Holy Spirit living in us. I think that metaphor helps us to get a sense of, get a sense of okay, what is the fruit of the Spirit and what's its place? So think back to our longings for peace. We talked about sleep. We talked about relational conflict. We talked about lots of things. How does peace as a fruit of the Spirit that's given to us in our relating to God, how does, it, how does that relate to those longings for peace? Sometimes it feels like those are two different things. Like we're longing for our freedom from anxiety over here, and then we're told that we have this peace with God over here, and we don't know how to connect the two. We don't know how they're related. An, Teachers down the centuries, Christian teachers in our Christian tradition have basically said that the root of all of our longings, that's everything, of all of our deepest, truest longings, deep desires, and that includes desires for peace, the root of it all is based in our ultimate longing for peace with God. And this ultimate peace with God is exactly what he freely, graciously gives us, right? God gives us true Peace. That's like my first kind of big idea here. Go with me to Romans chapter 5. I don't have slides today. I didn't have time. But if you've got your Bibles or if you've got a friend with a phone, turn off your notifications and go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. God gives us true peace. God gives us true peace. This is what's on offer today. Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, this is Paul to the Romans, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts 
through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I hope in that passage you hear some echoes of this kind of metaphor of the fruit of the Spirit living at home with God um, here. So just a couple of things I want to point out about this passage. We have peace with God. It's finished. It's accomplished. God has taken the initiative to give us freedom from our rebellion against him, freedom from conflict with him, freedom from animosity and and enmity between us and God. We have, it's in the past, it's done, it's finished, it's present right now. We have peace with God. It is accomplished. How is it accomplished? It's through our Lord Jesus Christ, having been justified through faith, right? Look down here at these next verses in 6 to 10, just to see more about this work that God has done for us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We were dead in our sin. That's how he says it in Ephesians 2. We were completely in bondage to our running away from God. And God came to seek us out. Very rarely, verse 7, will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since now we have been justified or made right with God by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were his enemies, God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We have peace with God. God gives ultimate peace. The, the, the foundation of all of our longings for peace is exactly what God gives us in, his, in, our, in the way that he relates to us. Even when we were his enemies, He sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, to atone for our enmity against him and to remake us into, to give us a totally new life. That's what we've been talking about with this fruit of the spirit, right? To invite us home to live with him. It's amazing. It says we stand, right? Verse two, uh, through Jesus Christ, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Let's all stand, actually stand, literally stand, stand. This is helpful to stay awake, as well as an illustration that we stand right now in this moment that are passing, the seconds that are passing right here. If you're a Christian, you stand in God's grace every moment of every day. I would ask you to just stay standing the whole time, but I'm not. So please sit down. That's great. We stand in this grace. We have gained access by Jesus into this grace. We celebrate, we have this hope that we have this life that is ahead of us, that is given to us now, but then in the end, God will bring an actual home that we will actually live in on this earth. Heaven will come down to earth and we will dwell with God and we will be his people forever. There'll be no more sin, no more pain, no more death, no more suffering. That's our hope, right? We have peace with God. And it's not a false hope because we have tastes of it now. We have taken God's very own love has been poured out in our hearts by this Holy Spirit. That's the, kind, that's the fruit of the Spirit, that, those tastes of God. How do we receive this peace? We receive it by faith. It's God's gift. It's by, by, 
God longs to give us the gift of his very own life, reconciliation with him. And we simply have to trust and believe that this is the case and then choose to follow him, to come home and make our home in him, to obey his commands, to spend time with him. This is how we receive God's peace. God gives true ultimate peace. He is the fountain of peace. He's the creator of all true peace. This is where like science fiction imagination can come into play. Like you could imagine a possible world in which there was no peace, perhaps. Just try to, maybe. Some, some Star Trek episodes have been, been about that. Alternate universes and such, right? The fact that this universe is a universe in which we long for peace, long for things that are good, is a fact because it comes from the God who made it. Isn't that amazing? Like, we could not know any kind of peace in theory, right? It could be that the God who made this universe is an evil God or something, but this is a God of love, a God of peace. And the very fact that we long for any of the things that we long for is because God has placed these desires in our hearts. That's amazing to me. But I find, though, in my own life, the trouble is I often don't have an appetite for the kind of peace that God gives and we're, I'm, I get back to that whole thing of, okay, this is the peace that God gives me over here, but I'm really wanting this peace over here. Like, I want more sleep. Or I want to be done with this task that's bothering me or annoying me or stressing me out. We have a hard time seeing the connection between the peace that God offers and the other forms of peace that we want. The peace of knowing a tough decision is made. The peace of, of mind that's not bound up by tortured anxieties about whatever. The peace of a reconciled relationship with somebody that we love. The peace that follows from knowing that a stressful health problem is done, is finished, is cured. The peace of being done with school. And we're, maybe some of those longings are flourishing now. They will be soon. We might think that God's peace is basically irrelevant to all those other kinds of things that we want. If that's us, then God is saying to us today, come and live with me. Make your home with me. Taste the peace that I offer. I'll show you real peace and so much more. That's what God is saying to us. Trust me. In calling us to live with him, God's not asking us to abandon all of our longings for peace with our family members or our close friends. He's not asking us to, to somehow pretend that those are like not important anymore. He's not asking us to give up searching for solutions to our own mental health problems or other, others that we love. He's not asking us to stop fighting against injustice or prejudice. Rather, he's basically saying, the reason that you long for all these things is because I made you to long for those things. I made you to want peace, and I can give you the peace that you most deeply desire, that you may not even realize that you want, but is present in all those longings. All those longings for peace are ultimately drawing you to me. God wants to give us a love relationship with him that's so deep, so full of life, so glorious that it makes all our earlier desires seem small and petty by comparison. And even more, God wants to transform us as we live with him through tasting these fruits of the spirit, right? He wants to transform us. He wants it to get inside of us, to change us so that we can be his agents of peace in ways that are far deeper and more effective than ways that we ever could have uh, been helpful to others. It's by knowing his love, by knowing his peace, by offering to others the peace that he offers that we can be most effective in being peacemakers. He wants to give us patience. 
He wants to give us endurance. He wants to give us the self-giving love that we need. He wants to give us the wisdom that we need, the joy, the hope that we need, the trust that it takes to pursue his kingdom work in the face of constant pressure and difficulty of, of seeking to find peace and make peace in this world. He wants us to, to sustain our efforts in peacemaking by his constant presence with us. Peace in our achievements. We seek peace in our, in our uh, activism, our busyness. We seek peace through avoidance and distraction. And personal example, right now, on my, on my web browser, on my phone, on Safari, I have like 173 tabs open. How did this happen? I don't know what any of these things are. None. What do I, what news articles am I reading? It's like it's all just random stuff. Random stuff that I turn to when I'm totally exhausted at the end of the day and I'm trying to like recover myself and my sanity just for a moment and I just randomly start scrolling, right? Another tab's open, another tab's open. I don't even know what it is. Like, I, I don't. I have no plan. I have no intention. I have no project that this is going. It's just random stuff that's just, oh, oh, I, gotta, I gotta read something. I gotta focus something, Right? That's me seeking peace from this phone, from like the stimulation of some new thing to read that I have no idea why I'm reading it or what I'm reading. And I think that's, that's one of the key things from this Christian Life Week, I think, that, that uh, Ken Shigematsu is going to talk about. Often when it comes down to practice, right? Seeking God's peace, knowing God's peace comes down to the practices of rest and prayer, and time with God spent in his word, hearing God's words of peace in our heart and seeking to put ourselves there to stop long enough to hear them and to watch ourselves when we are going out of the house that God's, that God's giving us and seeking to live elsewhere. God wants us to pay attention. God is constantly interacting with us, trying to give us his fruit of the spirit and we need to take time to pay attention every single day. Sometimes our pursuit of a concrete sensation of peaceful feelings like the absence of stress or feelings of calm can be a distraction from true peace, right? We, we just want to feel calm in any sense and from any source. And sometimes that urge to, to be done with the stress can get in the way of us seeking God's peace. We'd prefer the peace of binging on video games or whatever, and avoiding ourselves rather than the stress of facing ourselves and our problems. We prefer the peace of not engaging wholeheartedly in a particular relationship because of the anxiety and stress that it would require to engage, right? I'm not saying that we should never stop to rest as Christians. I'm not saying that it's not good to have boundaries, good personal boundaries that limits the kinds of responsibilities that we claim for ourselves, right? Those are all good things. But sometimes God's calling us to love each other beyond what seems comfortable for us. That in the, at the beginning of it, it seems like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this peacefully. We don't know at the outset how God will see us through, but he's calling us to spirit peace means always having a sense of calm and never being stressed at all, never having any kind of anxiety, never having any kind of worry, never having any kind of mental suffering or anything like that. But that's not true. Jesus' experience on the cross shows us what spirit-filled peace really entails. The life full of peace that God gives us is a normal human life that will involve stress 
and mental and emotional suffering. But God's peace is not conquered by all of that. It was only because Jesus had the secure peace of knowing God as his loving father that he could endure the agony and distress of the cross. That's the peace of the fruit of the spirit. That's what it looks like. It looks like Jesus enduring while his body was broken in love for us. Enduring shame, enduring disappointment, enduring the end of his life for us. It's his unique bond of love and peace with the Father that that sustained his self-sacrifice, that made him the ultimate peacemaker. And that's the kind of peace that God gives to us. And that's the kind of peacemaking that God is calling us to share in. And that's the second big idea. As I'm, uh, this is my last point and we're nearing the end here. God gives us peace, not just for us to taste it, although that's certainly true, but so that we can share it. God gives peace for peacemaking. God doesn't give Christians peace just so we can savor it for ourselves. He gives peace to make more peace. And I think this, this will come down to a particular practice here in Christian Life Week. Um, so part of learning to live with God in his home necessarily involves learning to live with other people. In good grief, there's a whole lot of other people that we have to learn to live with, isn't there? We're all so different. Coming to know God's peace more deeply doesn't only happen through prayer and reflection on our own with God. It also happens as we learn to share the bowl of God's peace, as we pass the bowl around, as we take God's peace with us to our neighbors in town. We learn what that peace means as we share it. Just like that image of we, we return to our place at the table and we find there's even more fruit than we, never, we ever realized. And we want it. We're not full. In fact, the, the original passage about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, it's aimed at this idea of peacemaking. It's aimed at how Christians treat one another. And as a New Testament guy, we've got we to see that context because so often the fruit of the Spirit can be kind of narrowly defined in terms of my devotional life. But actually, the fruit of the Spirit is meant to be part of this robust Christian life that involves our relationships with others. And that's what's going on in Galatians. So let's flip over to Galatians chapter 5 real quick as we're nearing the end. What's the big story of Galatians? The big story is, all right, if you haven't had Paul's letters, Galatians is, if you want to see Paul mad about something, then you read Galatians. It is the most ferocious letter that we have in the whole New Testament. It is, it is, it is harsh. Paul has some really great one-liners in there that we're not going to read today, okay? <clears throat> What's the big idea? The big idea is Christ, some Christians in this region, Galatia, were not at peace with their brothers and sisters in Christ. The big idea is basically that they were holding over their brothers and sisters in Christ, kind of restricting access to being children of God based on whether or not they would keep the Torah. Because these are like the Jewish Christians and for their whole lives they've kept the Torah and now they're Christians and so they assume, yeah, that's what we should do. We should all keep the Torah. And so all these Gentile Christians who haven't grown up with the Torah, they need to start keeping the Torah if they want to be children of God. And so they didn't eat with their brothers and sisters in Christ because they might have been eating unclean food or they weren't circumcised or X, Y, Z. They weren't keeping Torah, right? 
So Paul is writing to address this particular situation. And for him, this is not just, okay, guys, come on, get along. This is life and death. This is true gospel versus false gospel. Because for him, if Christians cannot treat each other on the basis of what Christ has done for them, then you've missed the whole point. It is a different gospel if you make your welcome of other brothers and sisters based on the condition that they accept this particular cultural practice so that they can be like you. That is a false gospel. And Paul is mad as all get out. He, because he basically, folks are, are, again, it's all about the ultimacy of what Christ has done. If Christ has reconciled us and has given us peace with God in his death for us, then there is nothing else that can give that same peace. And we dare not impose upon others some condition for our peace with them that is not based in what Christ has done for them. And so, towards the end of the letter, he begins to talk about the Spirit because he's basically trying to say, look, how should you treat each other? You should treat each other in the way that the the Spirit of God has treated you, in the tastes of the Spirit that you have received already. Look at chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. What is, what is he saying? He's saying, look, this is the freedom of the peace of God's, God's relationship of love with you. This, you have been set free. Don't use your freedom to exclude other people. Instead, enslave yourself to other people. That's how you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, by, by, by putting others' needs before your own, by seeking peace. So, verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. You're not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Look at the acts of the flesh that are the contrast to the fruit of the Spirit. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. And then notice this shift. Hatred, drunkenness, orgies, sorry, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. There's envy. All of these are elements of conflict with each other, right? So it's basically saying, this is a sign that you're walking in the flesh if you're fighting with each other, if you're excluding one another, if you're at odds with each other, if you can't eat together, if you can't become friends with each other on the basis of what Christ has done for you. And then it finishes out, uh, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then we get the fruit of the Spirit, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these are oriented to how we're treating each other, right? It's first of all how God has treated us in our our tastes of him. And then it's, but these are gifts to be given to each other. We exercise self-control as we share peace with each other and don't fight with each other, as we show gentleness, etc. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And what does that mean? Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other, fighting with each other. He keeps on hammering back, right? What are these gifts for? What are the fruit of the Spirit for? What's your freedom for? It's for establishing a new family. You're living together with all these other people, not just with God. And that is critical. That's central to who you are as a Christian. So I encourage you, here's a, here's a concrete practice this week. As you're thinking about what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? What does it mean to taste God's peace? I encourage you to be a peacemaker this week and the rest of the term, your whole life. But let's think about this week, okay? Make an effort this week to spend time befriending a person who is different from you who's not in your immediate friend group. Ask God to help you, like as an act of faith, real. Extend the peace that he's given you to this person to sustain your conversation, your interest in this person, your love towards this person, despite your differences, okay? Another one, look for opportunities this week to be a peacemaker. Ask for forgiveness. Seek out reconciliation, Challenge all the default dividing lines that are invisible or visibly present among us based on personality or interests or the classes that you're in or the program or our cultures or our languages or whatever those dividing lines are. Be willing to step across those boundaries in the name of Jesus Christ for peace and for friendship. Big ideas are God is the giver of true peace. Make your home with him. Let let his peace seep down into your soul as you spend time with him. Ken Shigematsu is going to give us more on what does that mean? How do we do that? As we're doing that, don't, don't limit it to your devotional life. Don't limit it just to your life with God. God gives peace for peacemaking. Take the peace that God gives you and share it with others. I'm going to close uh, with this particular uh, passage from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Lord, help us, God. Lord, help us to see ourselves for who we are, to see you for who you are. And help us to act in faith and trust in you. Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good, for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.